Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Nuno Espirito Santo's time in charge of Tottenham Hotspur is over after just four months. Charlie Eccleshare covers Tottenham for The Athletic, and he's here to explain what went wrong for Nuno and why Antonio Conte is taking the job just months after turning it down. I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Wednesday, November 3rd. All right, Charlie Eccleshare, thank you for joining the show. I think it might be helpful at this point to rewind all the way back to the end of last season to get a sense of sort of the series of events that led to this point for Tottenham Hotspur. Refresh our memory here. What was the state of the club (laughs) at that time? Uh, What were they looking for in a manager? Well, it was pretty... Hostile. So (laughs) in their final, final home game, they played against Aston Villa in May 2021. And... Daniel Levy in his program notes talked about appointing a manager with Tottenham DNA who would play free-flowing football and you know would bring the good times back and would do it in the Spurs way because he said we've lost sight of those things you know what and he didn't mention it specifically but there'd been a huge backlash against Tottenham being one of the clubs that were going to join the European Super League there were right. a small number of fans were allowed into that game that's the Villa game and they really vented that Super League thing uh, the appointment of Mourinho, how that had all ended. They, they'd they had enough. They were furious. Uh, and Levy, it seemed, had recognised some of that by saying all this Spurs DNA stuff. So they sure. went after uh, man- some managers who fitted that profile. The, the uh, you know uh, Mourinho's predecessor, Maurizio Pochettino, was one of them. They weren't able to get him in. Graham Potter from Brighton, Eric Ten Hag from Ajax. None of them took the job. Um, others rejected them too. Um, and it just dragged on and on and on. The, the, this job hunt, Mourinho got sacked on April 21st, I think it was. No, maybe April 20th. I think, it was April, that time. I think it was April 20th, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, my, aniver- my wedding anniversary is 21st. Oh, there uh, we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Mourinho was sacked on April 20th. Um, and as you get to the end of June, they still haven't faced... Uh, they still haven't replaced him. So it's a really embarrassing two months because you've also got people like Antonio Conte who 
I'm sure we'll talk about him, uh, yeah. come on to him in a bit, and whether he spurs DNA is debatable. But anyway, he was an elite coach. He also turned them down. And eventually, um, yeah, they got to, I mean, depends exactly how you estimate it, but not far off their 10th choice. And on June 30, they hired Nuno Espirito Santo. That's really incredible. What sort of reasoning was reported or have you, do you know or was, was known for these managers for turning Tottenham down? Like what was sort of the, the reasoning there? So some of them, they just couldn't extricate from their current contracts, um, sure. which, you know, that's a challenge for any club. Some of them wanted to stay where they were. They were enjoying their projects. You know, they felt they hadn't seen them through. Others just didn't think Spurs was an environment necessarily they wanted to work in. And then in Antonio Conte's case, he had a change of pla- a change of heart. There's suspicion that was about kind of what he was going to be able to do in the transfer market, um, because obviously Spurs don't have the kind of budget that some of his clubs that he's worked for previously do. Think about a club like uh, Chelsea. And then in Paolo Fonseca's case, is another one who was linked. It sort of depends whose point of view you believe. He, in a subsequent interview, said that he um, didn't want to play as defensively as Fabio Paratici, who is the managing director of football. That's another kind of subplot. He was brought in, officially started July 1st, but he was working at the club throughout June. And it was him who brought in uh, Nuno, though his first choice was Antonio Conte. The two of them have worked together at Juventus. Um, So yeah, there are lots of kind of subplots here going on. Yeah, you mentioned that some of these managers turned down the opportunity because of sort of the environment at Spurs. Can you sum that sum up what that is like what and how that might be a reason for a manager to turn down the job? Well, one of the things at that time as well was the Harry Kane saga. Sure. And that was also something that Conte, we understand, was an issue for him that that hadn't been resolved. So for a manager coming in, you're, you're not you're not kind of linking up with a particularly happy environment. You're linking up with an environment where the club's talisman and best player has made it clear that he wants to go. go. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) there's a lot of uncertainty there because Spurs with or without Kane is a hugely different proposition. You know, if you have him and you're sure you have him and he wants to be there long term, that's great. But that wasn't the case then. And although Spurs were steadfast um, throughout the summer that they weren't going to sell him, that's still a big uncertainty. Bear in mind as well the context of fans in open revolt, the sense that it's a team that's been stagnating really for a few years, is in desperate need of a rebuild. Are you going to get the investment to do that rebuild? Um, There are lots of things there. And then you've got uh, a chairman in Daniel Levy who has done a very divisive figure, has done very, very, very good things for Tottenham, but he is known for being quite a difficult person to work with in some respects. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah. it, it, it's a pretty tumultuous environment at that time. And, you know, some might feel, well, I've got a project I'm enjoying. Do I really want to risk that? Um, and also they're only in the Europa Conference League, which is like the third tier European competition. So to drop, if you're a Champions League manager, like someone like Pochettino, who in the end his contract meant he he couldn't get out of that job. But if you're someone like that, obviously he's got the kind of romantic attachment to Tottenham, but that's a big drop-off from playing in the Champions League, not even just to the Europa League, to the Europa Conference League. So there are a lot of considerations for a manager to make in the summer. 
So Nuno was hired on June 30th of this year. They finally settled on him. Why did Spurs settle on him? And what was sort of the the reaction to that hire? Well, I mean, it's brutal, really. But the <laughs> the main reason they settled on him was because everyone else they wanted to turn them down. Or, or, they, or they decided it wasn't for them. I mean, bear yeah. in mind, we, we reported this uh, in our kind of Nuno retrospect, four-month-long re- retrospective. They hadn't wanted him when he uh, left Wolves by mutual consent um, in May. So what changed in that intervening month? Did they suddenly realize, oh, you know what? Actually, we do really like this guy. Well, two things changed. One was um, the fact that everyone they really wanted had turned them down. And the fact they brought in Fabio Paratici's managing director of football and he was more open um, to the idea Although, as I say, Conte was the first choice and Nuno was given a two-year contract, which always suggested he wasn't really viewed as a long-term proposition. You know, people quite quickly uh, in and around the club, you know, were talking about him as this almost like a glorified caretaker, sort of keeping the seat warm until they could get someone in that they really wanted, which is obviously what's happened sure. <laughs> the last uh, day or so. Turned out to be justified. But uh, from the very start, Nuno... Not in a strong position, but uh, nonetheless, in your story that you did with uh, Jack Pitbrook, you covered three goals that he was tasked with once he took charge of Tottenham, in addition to obviously you know winning some games. Uh, what were those three things that Tottenham basically needed done at the start of the season, and why were they important? Yeah, well, the three main things were uh, fitness sure, and a, a proper tactical blueprint, the sense that you know, players were being properly coached and then developing and improving players. And, and you know, part of that is bringing players through from the academy. Why those are important? Well, that last one, developing players coming through the academy, that's something that uh, I'm loath to use the phrase Spurs DNA because it feels a bit tainted now, but that is something they pride themselves on. It sure. is, is bringing through youngsters. You think of Harry Kane, uh, Ryan Mason, who obviously managed the team uh, briefly uh, last season. More recently, Ollie Skip. Um, who's come through and is, and is doing well this year. Now, the other two, well, that one is debatable, but certainly the first two, fitness and tactical blueprint, those were really seen to have dropped off under Jose Mourinho. So fitness, the play, a lot of the players felt they'd really lost their sharpness. They weren't as fit as they wanted to be. They felt they should be and as that they had been under uh, Maurizio Pochettino, who pushed them so hard. And now that made a degree of sense because Nuno, one of his um, calling cards at Wolves was that he got the players really, really fit and they had very few injuries. So that that made a degree of sense. Uh, and from a tactical perspective, uh, he he was seen as, is seen as reasonably tactically astute, even if he's not the most inspiring. But sure. but I think the, yeah, the developing players, that was partly a Mourinho legacy because he's never been thought of as someone who particularly... Uh, brings through young talent. Though we should say he gave uh, Jafat Tanganga his chance um, and he, he gave a few others minutes anyway. Um, and, and he always bristles at that idea that he doesn't bring through young players. But certainly you could say that fitness and any sense of a, an attacking plan were pretty conspicuous by their absence under under Jose. Not the only thing that Jose bristles at, I would say. Uh, <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So once Nuno's in the job, how does the team do to, to start the year and what changes? Well, the, the thing is, he, start, he actually starts pretty well results-wise. He wins his first three games, all 1-0. The first of which is against the champions, Manchester City, which is, you know, hailed as a great result. And, it, you know, Nuno's here and, um, you know, they counterattacked sharply. They sat back, but, you know, they're playing the champions of England. And I don't think anyone thought that was anything but a really sensible way of playing. Then they beat Wolves and Watford, who are kind of lower to middling Premier League clubs, also 1-0. And there's a slight sense of mm, they're winning games. They haven't actually played all that well, but that's okay because it's early on and that's still a great start. He's awarded manager of the month. Tottenham are top of the league uh, at the end of those first three games, at which time there's a two-week international break. And just to make things even sweeter, Arsenal, Tottenham's loathed arch rivals, are bottom of the table with naught points after three games. So it's all looking quite rosy at that point. Then it all goes to pot very, very quickly. And and just to sum up that swing, three games... So Spurs go into that international break top, nine points ahead of Arsenal. Three games later, they're level with points with Arsenal and behind them on goal difference. Oh, boy. Having just been, having just been spanked by Arsenal in the North London derby. Um, 3-1 is the final score, but they're 3-0 down after about half an hour. And it's honestly one of the most catastrophic performances you'll ever see and the two weeks previously to that they lost 3-0 away at Crystal Palace and 3-0 at home to Chelsea all three of those games are London derbies and that just makes it even worse because those are not games you want to lose you certainly don't want to lose them that badly Um, and from there even at that point we were being told I don't think this guy is uh is much longer for for this particular world Um, and, and bear in mind that's after six games where you know they won three of them um, and and that's, that seems crazily premature. But the, some of those performances were just so diabolical that um, <laughs> it, it, it made a degree of sense. Um, yeah. They actually then won their next two games and only needed a point away at West Ham to go into the top four. But they didn't. They lost 1-0 and then they lost again 3-0. And there was just, it, it, it wasn't just the results. It was just the fact that the performances were so ropey and there was no sense of that tactical blueprint that we talked about. What have you heard through your reporting was the, was the issue there? Like what, what was causing these performances? What caused Nuno to just not fit with his Tottenham team? I think there are a number of things. I mean, one of them is communication and Nuno is known for being pretty reserved. He doesn't really do small talk, can be quite aloof. Um, which sort of worked for him at Wolves because he took them from a much lower base. And I think there was a bit of fear around him. Here at Spurs, they, they you talk to people at the club and what they say they really needed was someone to galvanise after... I, I, I said at the, earlier, you know, about there were all these issues. The Mourinho era had had really drained a lot of people's excitement. You'd have Pochettino leaving, which was, you know, 
almost a traumatic event for people at the club because he'd yeah. been there so long and he was so popular. So you needed someone to come in and rouse people and say, you know, it's going to be okay. That that just wasn't him and it was never going to be him. So there were those communication issues from the start. He never seemed entirely sure on his tactical approach. He, he flip-flopped quite a lot. I think left the players quite confused. The training sessions, um, at first they quite liked the fact that they were being worked hard because they wanted to be worked hard, having felt that under Mourinho they'd sort of lost a bit of that edge. But that became a bit wearing. Um, and I just don't think he really had the authority. Um, and it's fine to just be a head coach. That's how he's always identified himself with. But as I say, I just think it needed a bit more uh, a bit more presence. And there was also a moment where he, he made quite a big error of judgment whereby... Spurs are in this competition, the Europa Conference League, that I mentioned, this sure. third-tier tin-pot competition that no one really cares about. But what he did was he played a team that beat Newcastle uh, on the Sunday. They won 3-2. And they actually played all right. They should have won by more than that. Uh, and then they travelled to Holland for the game on the Thursday with another Premier League game on the Sunday. And he left behind all 11 that had started in the Premier League game, rested them, essentially, as right. if to say... You guys don't worry about this. You focus on the next Premier League game. I'm going to take this other group for this 10-pot game. But those players that were taken to Holland, that's a bit demotivating because what you're essentially saying is this 11 I've left behind, they're definitely going to start the next league game. You guys, can you just go and do play this shit game I'm not really bothered about? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I hope that's cool. Obviously, that's pretty demotivating for them. And also can potentially lead to a bit of complacency amongst those who've been left behind because they know, well, they're starting the next game. That was a big gamble. They lost in Holland and one of the players, Harry Winks, more or less said yes. Uh, it's pretty demoralising when asked by us after the game. And my understanding, what I've been told, is that even some of those left behind thought it was a strange move because for the reasons I've said, that it's demotivating, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Anyway, that would have been fine. It, well, it would have been... Forget, if they'd won, the, the reason they were left behind was so they could be fresh for the league game coming up on the Sunday at West Ham. And if they'd won that, I think Nuno would have been vindicated. Instead, they lost 1-0 and they didn't even have a shot in the second half when, in theory, they should have been fresher. Right. Especially as they were playing a team who'd also played on the Thursday and had played more of their first team players. So that was a big uh, kind of lost uh, sort of blow to his authority. Um, and that just kind of compounded some of the issues that were already there from his first few weeks. Well, those issues, at least specifically with Nuno, are not there anymore because he is no longer in that job. Antonio Conte, now in as manager, you mentioned that he was sort of in the running, one of the candidates for the job over the summer. Didn't take it then, had his reasons then. What caused, as best you can tell, or what, according to your reporting and others reporting, uh, other reporting done here at The Athletic, uh, why he decided to take a nap? What changed his mind? So the Kane factor is one of those things that he Kane now has stayed and is staying. He can't go until, well, he could go in January. There's no way that will happen. Right. He could go next summer, uh, but it's going to be harder for him to do that probably because he, he's only got two years left on his contract and they're probably not going to get a huge bid that would um, shift the dial for them. So he's pro he's got Kane at least for the rest of the season. We think he's been given assurances on what he can and can't spend in the next couple of transfer windows. Um, he has said uh, today that Levy's perseverance really convinced him of how much they wanted him um, and that he feels more ready for it 
back then he'd just come off the back of two pretty exhausting years at, uh, at Inter Milan. So th- those are kind of the reasons he's given. I suspect as well there's an element to which he felt in the summer he might be able to get Real Madrid or Manchester United or one of those jobs. Manchester United may still come up for him, but at the moment it isn't. And United look as though they're staying with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So he might have thought, well, this is probably the best, uh, my best bet. And I think he's someone who just gets itchy feet. He just loves managing and football and, and I think was pretty keen to get back into it. And, you know, you've got a club that aren't a million miles away. I mean, they, they could get top four and qualify for the Champions League this season. Sure. So I think he felt actually, yeah, maybe it wasn't ideal in the summer. May still not be ideal now, but there's enough there to excite me and um, for me to get my teeth into. Well, given everything that's happened uh, this year, what sort of defines success for Antonio Conte in this job? What 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 would he need to achieve in order to for everybody to look back and say, well, that was that was worth it? <laughs> yeah, I think if he if he gets them back into the Champions League by finishing in the top four either this season or next season, then that's job done. That's it. That's what Spurs need to be doing because that's both reputationally. And financially, that's everything, Champions League. You know, that's saying we are an elite European club. Yeah. The other thing, and this is always the tension as to what's more important, is winning a trophy because Spurs haven't won a trophy since 2008. In fact, I think today as we record, it's 5,000 days since they last uh, won a trophy. Whew. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of a drought and that's something fans are desperate to end. And some fans are, would say trophy is absolutely the thing. Others would say, no, we need to be you know, more sensible as to get back in the Champions League because that's uh, for the long-term health and that might lead to trophies. So one of those two things, certainly the Champions League, and if you won a trophy, depending on what trophy it was, I think then you're probably thinking it's uh, it's been worthwhile. Well, Charlie Eccleshire, thank you so much for coming on the show. You can uh, hear Charlie Eccleshire on the View from the Lane podcast here at The Athletic. He covers Tottenham Hotspur for us. Uh, have a wonderful day, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you. Elsewhere in soccer today, there is a lot of Champions League. I'm just going to pick one game per kickoff window. In the early games that kick off at 1.45 p.m. Eastern, Milan versus Porto should be interesting. Two traditionally strong sides that haven't had much luck in this year's Champions League so far, but that means that they both need points. In the late window, which starts at 4 p.m., I'd say go Borussia Dortmund versus Ajax, two sides that like to attack. They both have a lot of young talent, and they're not afraid to go for it. That's at 4 p.m. on Paramount+. Plus. All these games are actually on Paramount+. Plus. Later tonight, there's some MLS action. If you're a neutral in the early window, I'd watch New York Red Bulls versus Atlanta United. That's a fierce rivalry. Those teams generally just do not like each other, and they're both desperate for points to secure their playoff spots. That's at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Later on at 10 p.m. Eastern, Real Salt Lake hosts Portland Timbers. The Timbers are looking to secure a home game in the playoffs while Real Salt Lake is hanging on for dear life. That game will be on ESPN2. The show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can get 33% off a year's subscription by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thanks for listening, and happy soccer to you all. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.